scripture here. I want to talk, we're going to start a new series today. I've been talking to the Lord about this for several weeks in my spirit. And we're going to call this identity theft. Identity theft. Actually, you hear a lot about that. I would say in the last 15 to 20 years, we've heard a lot about this thing called identity theft. Now, we're not going to talk about it in the, in the, what you're familiar with, but we're going to tie this into the original identity theft where, where Satan lied to Adam and Eve. Amen. We're going to, I think this is going to really help a lot of people. Has anybody here ever known anybody that's had a, been a product of this identity theft? I had a neighbor years, a couple of years ago, one of our old neighbors that uh, had this happen to them. And you know, with identity theft, they get your credit card numbers and your identification and they act like it's you. And then they get all these lines of credit and they run up all this credit and then you get charged for it. Okay. It's all the devil. How many of you know that? The devil's the thief, you know, and we've really only heard about this, I'd say in the last 15 to 20 years. And, uh, but it's destroyed a lot of people's lives. And I know with my neighbor, for example, they ran up, they charged thousands and thousands of dollars uh, for, for different stuff like that. And then here he gets all these bills in the mail that he didn't purchase. You know what I'm saying? It's of the devil. How many of you know that? But I got to thinking about this because man's identity, our true identity, has been challenged really since the Garden of Eden. Amen. We're going to get into this today, and I think it's going to help. I don't think I know it's going to help so many different people because uh, let's just go there real quick here. In Genesis chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 26 through 28, it says this, that God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Like Brother Caps used to say years ago, God gave us authority over creeps. <laughs> Amen. And he says in verse 27, so God created man in his own image and in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Now you can see here in verse 27 that this statement is only made in regard to his man Adam. He says, So God created man in his own image, in his own likeness, created he him. Amen. Now, God never said that about the cattle. He never said that about the uh, other livestock and animals and creatures that, that lived upon the earth because none of them were actually made in God's likeness and God's image. But when God made man, when God made Adam, which is the prototype for the rest of us, we all came out of Adam, the Bible says, that mankind is made in God's likeness and in God's image, God put his stamp of approval. Man became a living soul. Praise God. How many of you know that? When God made man's body, he made it out of the dust of the ground. His body came from the ground, the dirt out of the ground. In fact, your body is made up basically of the same elements that are in the ground. Okay? We're basically dirt walking around. That's our bodies. That's our bodies. Man's body came from the earth but man's spirit came from God because God formed his body. He was just a clay statue just standing there. But then God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living spirit. Amen. Now, go to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. Just turn next door there. I want to show this to you here. Genesis 2 verse 7. It says that God, the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. And notice this, that's his body. And then he said, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Now, did God take, a lot of people think God took Adam like a big balloon and just went, <laughs> and just blew him up. That's not what happened, okay? God put his face right into Adam's face and he became a living soul. Praise God. Now, I have this, I had heard this, and so I actually got, bought a copy of it, and it's the Jewish Hamash, okay? And that's the Jewish sages, the Hebrew sages that, that, that commented on the Old Testament and so forth. 
And, uh, and they said this out of Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where it says man became a uh, living soul. It actually means, in the e- actual Hebrew, it means that God made man another speaking spirit just like himself. Another speaking spirit just like himself. And that's why we're made in God's likeness. We're made in God's image. Therefore, we can fellowship with God. We can communicate with God. God is a spirit. We are a spirit. And uh, that's why we can have fellowship with him. And secondly, that's why we can have fellowship with one another. Why we can communicate with one another because we're spirits. Now, did you ever try to fellowship with a cow or a dog or a cat? I'm sure I talk to my dog all the time. But that dog has never talked back to me. Okay? You ever done that before? It's crazy what we say to our animals sometimes, huh? <laughs> Different things we do. Amen? <laughs> Praise God. Inspired of God. You know? But the, the, the animal kingdom is not made. Now, God put them here for our pleasure. How many of you know that? Some people like big dogs. Little dogs, skinny dogs, fast dogs, tiny little dogs, okay? And God knew that, and so he made everybody different, and he made different varieties of different species so that he put those things there for our pleasure. How many of you know that? Okay? Now, when he made the cats, I'm not sure what he was thinking. But. <laughs> I always have to throw that in there. You know I'm just teasing. Just teasing now. Mm. Oh, hallelujah. Yeah. (laughs) That's another story for another day. But see, God made man in another speaking spirit. When God made man, he made us just like himself. And that's why we can communicate with him. And that's why we can communicate. God made us to be able to communicate with each other. God never created us to be an island off, off by ourselves, not never communicating with people. He made us to be able to communicate with one another, especially the right kind of people. Amen? Now, I've always said this. I'd rather have no friends than to have the wrong friends. I'll be honest with you. I'd rather have no friends at all. Not that that's an option. I'd rather have no friends than to have the wrong friends because the wrong type of people in your life can influence you for bad. How many of you have ever known people like that? Just started hanging out with the wrong people, and I mean, before you know it, they're going down a slippery slope, you know. And, and we've all kind of done there, been there, and done that, you know. But we have to, we have to realize that anytime we feel lonely, what, what we don't want to do is gravitate to the wrong types of people. You know, we don't want to gravitate to the people that are walking in darkness because that's going to bring us down. And there's all kinds of scriptures in the book of Proverbs that talks about if you're going to hang out with wise men, you'll be wise. But if you hang out with fools, you'll be destroyed. Okay? And, uh, and I, I praise God because, you know, when I was growing up, there was a lot of, I didn't know what I know now. Not that I know everything now. But I know a lot more now than I did 35, 40 years ago. You know what I'm saying? And, um, but I believe the Lord was protecting me because there are, there are people that after I got saved, after I received Christ as a 16-year-old teenager, there were people in my life that, that, that were just there. They were part of my past, you know. And, uh, and they, they were, you now some of them made a heart change and they wanted to follow me into the things of God. But there were other people that said, forget it. I don't want that Jesus stuff. I don't want anything to do with that. You know what I'm saying? And... Uh, but some of those people that decided not to walk with Christ, and they decided to continue in that scene, the party scene, and, and uh, corruption and sin and stuff like that. I, I had to make a choice. Do I want to hang out with them? And within myself, and it had to be the wisdom of God because I didn't have anybody that, there was no one there to help me or mentor me. Nobody. I was all alone. Hallelujah. But I wasn't alone. I had God. And the Lord was just revealed to me, you don't want to hang out with them anymore. You can love them and pray for them, but you don't want to hang out with them. Praise God. And there was, it seemed like there was a season in my life where I was alone for a while. But you know what? I just enjoyed that because I wasn't alone. I had God. Amen. And before you know it, God started hooking me with the right types of people. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of times through loneliness, we make wrong choices because we get linked with people that we shouldn't be linked with. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Praise God. But we, the people of God, we've got something to offer people. Glory to God. 
trying to get getting ahead of myself here. But the Jewish sages said that God made man another speaking spirit just like himself. Now, Genesis chapter 2, right there, look at Genesis 2, verse 15. I'm laying a foundation here today. And the Lord God took man, put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Now, keep in mind, this is the first man, Adam and his wife, Eve. Two people. <laughs> All right. And he said he put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Now, the word keep there simply means to guard and to protect. So, God, this which was signaling here that there's, a, there's an enemy that's in the garden here. And he says, you're to guard that garden. You're to dress that garden. You're to keep that garden. The word keep means to guard. All right? And, uh, and the Lord said in verse 16 that commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it. For the day that you eat thereof thou shalt surely Die. Notice that those last three phrases. Thou shalt surely die. Now, did God mean what he said? Did he? Not a trick question. Did God mean what he said? Okay. He says, The very day that you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. Okay? God meant exactly what he said. Now, let's go to Genesis chapter 3. We've started in 1, went to 2. Now we're going to go in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. And we're going to see here uh, this account, this initial account of the temptation that Satan... Now you have to understand that Satan initially was Lucifer who was an archangel. There's three archangels. There's Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer in the Bible. All right. Now God created them perfect and good. But they had choices, okay? And you know, just to kind of encourage you, and if you don't know this, you know, when, when God made these angels, He gave them one, each one of them had a third of the other angels underneath them, okay? And Lucifer was a, the Bible says God created in him the pipes within his vo vocal. He was a worshiper of God that stood closest to the throne of God. And you remember Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel 28. We don't have time to get into that. But, but there was what we call the five I wills where Lucifer was so taken up with his beauty. He, God made him beautiful. And when he looked in the mirror, he thought, look out, baby. <laughs> you know? And, and he, he says, I, I, you know, he wasn't satisfied with where his position was. He says, I want to be like the most high God. I will exalt myself to be like him. And there was five I wills mentioned in Isaiah 5, Isaiah chapter 14. I will be like the most high God. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Five times he said, I will. Well, the Bible says that iniquity was found in him. Sin was found in him. He created, the devil created sin and rebellion. And that's when Jesus said in Luke's gospel, he said, behold, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I mean, it, was, it wasn't like a little... Like a something like a like a feather floating down. I mean, he fell like lightning from heaven to earth, from earth to heaven, and his fall. But the Bible says in Revelation that he took one third of the angels with him, and they became the demon spirits that are in the earth today. All right, he led one third of those angels in rebellion, thinking they could overthrow the throne of God. How stupid can you get? All right, and so you cannot kill spirits. Spirits exist forever. You're a spirit. All right? And so God was giving him a heads up. He said, look, you've got to guard the garden. You've got to dress the garden. And uh, look at verse 1 of, of Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman. Now, evidently before the fall... It was not an uncommon thing for an animal to speak, to talk, to communicate. Because they didn't look surprised. Okay? And it says, uh, he said, uh, now the devil borrowed the serpent's body. And he said, yea, hath God said, you shall not eat of every tree in the garden. Notice that. 
And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the, the fruit of the trees in the garden, but the, the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And uh, the serpent said unto the woman, Now notice this phrase, You shall not surely die. So this is a contradiction of what God had told Adam and Eve. God said the day you eat of that true, you will surely die. Now the devil comes along and bars the serpent's body and he says, you're not going to die. God didn't really mean what he said. Okay? False identity. In verse 5, he said, God knows that in the day that you, if you eat thereof, he said, your eyes are going to be open and you shall be as gods, knowing both good and evil. And notice this, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and was pleasant for the eyes and the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and did eat and gave also to her husband and he did eat. And the eyes of them were both opened. And they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the cool of the day and Adam and his wife hid themselves, notice this, from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. And when the Lord God called Adam, he said, where art thou? Now God knew exactly where it was. But he's trying to get a response out of him. Now, now, it looks like an apparent contradiction because God said that the day that you eat of this tree, you will surely die. Now, they didn't kick over that day because we're thinking physical death, yeah. right? But you know, the Bible teaches us that there's more than one kind of, actually, there's three kinds of death in the Bible. Now, the one that we're most familiar with is physical death, which is the separation of your spirit from your physical body, your spirit and your soul from your physical body. And when your spirit leaves your body, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord if you're a believer. Amen? I mean, the very second your spirit leaves your body, my God, you're in the presence of God. That's as good as it gets. But there's a thing called spiritual death, which means spiritual separation from God. And when God said, the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die, they died spiritually. That's why when they heard God, they ran from His presence. And they became fear-filled. Now, it's interesting because they had never known what fear was up to this point. It's a sad day. They became separate from God. Now, eventually, they died physically. Years later, they died physically. But they died spiritually first. Now, I know uh, the thing I wanted to bring out to you is this. In verse 1, you'll notice this phrase. The serpent said to the woman, Yea, hath God said... Getting them to question. Then if you jump down to verse 4, the end of it, it says, He's the serpent again said to the woman, You shall not surely die. She began to entertain the thoughts of the enemy that God was trying to keep something back from them. Now when the Lord made Adam and Eve, He made them fully provided for. I mean, everything was there. They had everything. There was nothing missing, nothing broken. Everything was there in the garden for them. Okay? Note, they were already made in God's likeness, in God's image. But when the devil came here in this, on the scene, barring the serpent's body, he began to get them to question what God said. Now, I, I, like I always say, you know, we often think of the, the, the horror flicks or something like that where the devil just goes, Rawr! you know what I'm saying? And, and it just frights people, scares the heck out of people, you know. But this is not how the enemy came. He came in there with a suggestion. He came in there with a subtle thought. You know, do you really think God meant what he said? It sounded very logical. And how many of you know sometimes being logical can be demonic? <laughs> It sounds like a good thing to do. The Bible says there is a, there's a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof is death, the Bible says. Amen. Well, they begin to ponder and think. Think, well, maybe the Lord's trying to keep something back from us. Now, they were already made in God's likeness and God's image. Hallelujah. But they begin to think, you know, we're missing, we're, I think we're missing out on something. Now, how many of you know when the devil comes, he always says you're missing out on something? 
If you don't do this, you're missing out. You're, gonna, you're missing out on all that fun and all that kind of stuff. That's what he does with the party scene with people. You don't jump in. Not, I was a teenager too. And people say, you don't know what you're missing out on. Yeah, death, hell, and destruction. Amen? Let me tell you something. I've, I, have, I had friends that were my age when I grew up that should be still alive on the earth today. They should be here, but they're not. I don't know that they were saved. I, there was no evidence of that whatsoever. But they got involved with the wrong people, the wrong crowd. And they didn't have an intercessor. They didn't have any parents standing, staying, standing in the gap for them. Now, if you have a wayward son or daughter or something like that, let me tell you something. God hears your prayers. But let me tell you, there's a lot of people that don't have an intercessor. They don't have someone standing in the gap for them. Amen? And that makes all the difference in the world. How many of you know what I'm talking about? But see... This is where the devil tried to twist their true identity. They were already made in the likeness and the image of God. But the devil said, there's something missing. God really didn't mean he's trying to keep something from you. And so they began to entertain that. And when they entertained that, then they allowed the deceiver to speak to them. Now go to John for a minute, John chapter 8. And I want to show you a verse of scripture here. Uh, where Jesus talked about the devil, talked about Lucifer. Now, how many of you know we don't just talk about God in church? We've got to talk about the devil too. The Bible says, in in, uh, Corinthians it says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. 2 Corinthians Mm 2.11. We're not ignorant of Satan's devices. And he comes with suggestions. He comes with seemingly good thoughts. Okay? But in John chapter 8, verse 44... Jesus said this to the spiritual leaders of that day in Israel. He said, now you know they love this. They said, you're of your father the devil. Don't you know that made their day? You are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. And when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is, a, he is a liar and the father of it. Do you notice that last phrase there that Satan is called a liar and the father of lies? Because when the devil's talking, if his lips are moving like one guy said, you know the devil's lying. The devil's lying. So if you just take the exact opposite of what the devil's telling you, I remember many, many years ago in my first church I pastored, this is probably 25 years ago, there was a guy that was coming to our church and he was, uh, he was a good-hearted man, but he had, he had a lot of problems with his mentality and stuff like that, you know, and he was always talking about, I remember this, he was always talking about the devil attacking him, the, the devil's doing this, the devil's doing that. And I got to the point, I didn't want to be around the guy. I'm just being honest with you. He was a good-hearted man, but... Man, he was so demon conscious, so devil conscious. And then it dawned on me one day, no wonder you're so oppressed. You're always thinking about the devil's next move, what he's going to do and so forth. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and when I got to thinking about this, I thought, the devil told me this, the devil told me that, the devil's lying to me. And, and I'm thinking, why are you listening to him? Why are you listening to him? You know, now how do, what's the primary way that Satan communicates with people through what? Thoughts. thoughts, thoughts, and that's why in Second Corinthians chapter ten it says that though our weapons of our warfare they're not carnal or natural, but they're mighty through the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You know, and he talks about thoughts, imaginations, strongholds, that kind of thing. You know, and uh, so. We have to realize that if we can stop the enemy in the thought first, then it's easier to deal instead of a stronghold. Okay? And there's three things here. Thoughts, imaginations, strongholds. It's in that order. Satan comes primarily, first of all, with a thought. If we don't deal with the thought, it becomes an imagination, a fixation. And thirdly, if it's not dealt with, it becomes a stronghold. What does that mean? Something that has a grip on somebody. A grip. 
Satan comes along and says, you know, to a guy, you're really a woman in a man's body. How many of you know that's a lie from the pit of hell? Or he comes to a woman and says, you're really a guy on the inside. What is that? Lie. Right? Are you with me now? Now, we're not against people that have those issues. Well, God loves those people. He cares for them. But let me tell you something. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You either a man or you a woman. <laughs> not both. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Now, I'm not trying to be politically correct because people say, well, you know. You know. Listen, these are bondages that people. Amen. I think about Mr. Jenner, who I used to look up to when I was a, a, a youngster in the Olympics. That now, I mean, it's, it's terrible what's happened to that guy. Amen. The confusion that's gotten into his mind. You know what I'm saying? That's sad. How many of you know that? It doesn't have to be that way. But somebody has to talk about it because God wants people free. He wants people free. And the devil will come along and said, you should have been a woman. You should have been a woman to a little kid. No, no, no. That's a lie, sweetheart. That's a lie. Hallelujah. <laughs> so Jesus said, Satan is a liar and he's the father of lies. So when Satan came to these people in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, was he telling the truth? Not at all. He was lying to them. He was getting them to think through inferiority and insecurity. That's primary, those two spirits that are on the earth today. Inferiority, insecurity, to think, you're missing out. You don't have what it takes. Let me tell you something. The greatest testimony is not, because I used to think growing up, you know, and I, I grew up in, in the uh, church that I was uh, in the Assembly of God church that I was in at that time, God used them mightily at that time in my life because I didn't know anything. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And uh, I forgot what I was going to say. It'll come back to me. Amen. Yeah, that's what it was. And it, it never seems like there are people with testimonies that would stand up and say, I was... I was in the gutter, I was on drugs, I had needles hanging to my arm, and you know, I had all these different things, I had all these women, and all that, but then I came to Jesus, and I used to, you would hear things like that, and I thought, I don't have that kind of background. So I'm thinking, I really didn't have a testimony. But you know, the greatest testimony, testimony to, to the, that exists is someone that just decided to say, I'm not going to go that way, I'm going to live for God. That's the greatest testimony that there is. I say, I'm just going to live for God. You don't have to go through the hell and the gutter. How many of you know you don't, you don't have to become like them out there in order to identify with them? Let me ask you this. Was Jesus a drunk? Was he a drug addict? Was he involved in prostitution? No, but he was more effective than anybody out there. You don't have to go through the muck and the mire in order for God to give you a testimony. The best testimony of all is you live for God every day of your life. Hallelujah. Jesus was the greatest witness that there was, wasn't he? Now, don't get me wrong. God will still use your, your background and your testimony because we all have a background. We all do, don't we? And God will still use that. Even hardships that you went through and things that you went through, God will, don't make no mistake, God will use that in order to help other people. But um, these two words right here, I want to focus on this in the time left that we have, is the word insecurity and inferiority. Insecurity and inferiority. The enemy, when he came to Adam and Eve, he made them to feel insecure based on the thoughts that they were receiving from him as if they were missing out on something, when in fact they weren't. He said, you know, when you partake of that tree, you're going to be just like God. Folks, they were already like God. When God made Adam and Eve, there was nothing missing. They had shalom in their home. (laughs) Nothing missing, nothing broken. Glory to God. But the devil said, you're missing out on something. There's something lacking in your life. Are you with me now? When they began to entertain those thoughts, that's when they allowed those thoughts to become an imagination, eventually a stronghold where they acted on that and they partook of the fruit. Now, God had given them every single tree in that garden, every single tree. He goes, you can have every one of those things. But this one tree, he said, this is the tithe. This belongs to God. This belongs to me. 
but you can have at it to all the other trees in the garden. Isn't that something? But the devil is a sly, sneaky creature, and he's still the same devil that he always was. Okay? And he operates with thoughts that if you don't do this, you are really going to miss out. Amen? Now let's go over to uh, Matthew real quick here, and we'll wrap this up there here this morning. But in Matthew chapter 4, if you're taking notes down, write this number one in bold letters. Number one, what God says about you should mean everything. What God says about you should mean everything. Everything. Now, I've shared this before, but I feel led to share it again. But I remember back in 1989, I was asked to minister in a church, Lynn and I, this is before we had any kids. And I had a friend of mine that back in those days, we had a, a church on Saturday night. We meet in an in in Episcopal church on a Saturday night. And so that meant we didn't have, we had Sunday morning open. So a friend of mine who was a, from the same Bible school that I was from had a church, took a church actually in Apollo, Pennsylvania, which isn't that far from here. Okay. And uh, so he had asked me, his name was Brian Gobar. He's pastoring in Minnesota now. And he asked me to, to, lend, to come and take their service for them because they were going to be away at a, on vacation or something like that. And uh, this is in the middle of the summer in Apollo, Pennsylvania. So uh, we said we'd do. So we came up there, never had been there before. I don't think I've ever been in the town before. And uh, have you ever been to Apollo before? Okay. So I went up there. We found the church, and we ministered the Word of God to the people, you know, and, and uh, probably about 60 to 70 people in the congregation. It wasn't a very big congregation. And, um, but I felt, I felt like there was a really strong anointing in that service, and I felt like people needed prayer. So different people came up after I ministered the Word of God for prayer, and there's probably 15 or 20 people that came up front that needed prayer. And uh, so we would, you know, take our time with them, lay hands on them. And there's one girl that came up out of all those people, and she had a, a baseball cap on, one of these kind that you, like a homemade type deal where you put something on the front of it, you know. And, uh, and she had these big bold letters in this ugly green cap, I remember this, and it said dummy, D-U-M-M-Y, across her, the front of her baseball cap. And... Uh, she came up for prayer. I'd never met this girl before in my life. Never saw her before up until this time. Linda and I are praying, and we prayed for her. And when I got to her, I'm telling you, something rose up on the inside of me. And I, it was the Holy Ghost. And I was angry at the enemy. I thought, why in the God's green earth would anybody wear a baseball cap, in church especially, that says dummy across their hat? You know. Well, long story short, I was praying for her. I was laying hands on her. I, know I never had something like this happened before and uh, and I prayed for her and I looked at her and I must have had fire in my eyes and I said I said do me do me a favor I said take that hat off and never wear it again she goes okay she took it off you know and I and then the Lord said call her after I said tell her to come up to after the service I want to talk to her some more after we dismiss the people you know and because uh, it needed to be dealt with privately you know and so she came up after most of the people were gone we sat down for a second, and I asked her, I said, tell me the story. Where, what's the deal with this hat? And I noticed when she came up in that prayer line, she was beat down, insecure. You could just look at her and see total insecurity, inferiority all over her. I mean, it's all over her. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. It's like a cloak. You can see it on people. It's sad, heart-wrenching. And I said, tell me, where did you get that hat? Where did that, where'd you get that phrase? And she goes, well... She goes, my parents nicknamed me Dummy. Now, those are the types of people, you want to take them out to the country, tie them up to a tree, and pray for them all night long. <laughs> Who in their right mind, amen, amen, would want to nickname their kid Dummy. So, from birth, they called her Dummy. Now we have to be we have to be careful. We have to be careful what we even nicknames and stuff like that. 
It should not, if you have a nickname for something, it shouldn't be degrading. Are you with me? Are you with me now? Because those images, now you might be laughing about, oh, oh, oh that's funny, you know, but listen, don't do that. If, you, if you've nicknamed somebody something that's derogatory, get rid of it right now in Jesus' name. Get rid of it. Okay? God will give you another cute name that's not derogatory. Are you with me now? Did I lose somebody right here now? Okay. So, I'm ministering to her, and I told her, I said, I said let me tell you something. What your parents did to you, I, Paul, I said, I'm so sorry that that happened to you, but I said, I said, I'm sure they meant well, but let me tell you something. Those, that image got on the inside of you, and it's been with you since a child. And she is probably 24 years old when I saw her. She goes, yeah, yeah. I said, don't you ever, I said, you destroy this hat. Don't you ever wear this hat again in the name of Jesus. I said, you are not a dummy. Now, those words were attached to her at a young age. Now, you remember the phrase, sticks and stones may hurt, break my bones, but names can't hurt me or words. No, listen, let me tell you something. Words can stay with you. But those words were lies that were sown to her. And that's why the enemy tries to get a foothold when you're young. Because when you're vulnerable, when you're young and you're tender and you're, you know, younger in the earth, the enemy, no, he tries to pick on you, he tries to do things to you, influence you, put wrong people in your life. Wrong influence, wrong people, abuse. And a lot of times that's why children are abused because they're so young. And somebody who physically can overpower them, they do things, that mental abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, all these different things. But let me tell you, there's victory and there's hope for people. See, the enemy tries to come with these thoughts of inferiority and security and make you feel this is the way you really are. This is your lot in life. And let me tell you something. I told that girl... I said, let me tell you, God did not make you a dummy. God did not make you stupid. And I could see her countenance start to, light, start to lighten up. I mean, she couldn't even hardly look up at me. You know what I'm saying? Because the words that were painted in her mind put this image of that's who she is. She's just stupid. She's a dummy. Okay? So uh, if you find yourself saying something like you forget something, which some of it, let me tell you something. You know, your brain may forget something, but your spirit doesn't. Because your mind and your brain are two different things. Do you know that? The Bible says we have the mind of Christ. And sometimes our brain might forget something, but that's when we lean on the mind of Christ, where He helps us. And I'll tell you, the Holy Spirit is, is an expert at bringing things to your remembrance, things that you naturally forgot. He will do that. Okay, so in Matthew chapter 4, and we'll close here today. Uh, verse 1, Matthew 4, verse 1 says, Then Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Now listen, you can't say that about yourself. The Lord does not lead you into temptation. But Jesus had to be tempted of the devil to pass the test that Adam failed to become a sacrifice for us. Jesus was led of the Spirit into the wilderness and He fasted 40 days and 40 nights and afterwards the tempter, notice verse 3, the tempter came to Him and said, If thou be the Son of God, if thou be the Son of God. Notice that phrase, if thou be the Son of God. And we're talking about identity theft. Satan will come and say, If you're really a child of God, if you're really a Christian, if you're really a child of God, command that these stones be made bread. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. All right? Now you'll notice that the, the, on these three, we're not going to take the time to read this this morning, but in all three of these temptations, the devil came and said, If thou be the Son of God. If you're really... Now, was Jesus the Son of God? Sure He was. Make no mistake about it. He was the Son of God. But the enemy came to Him, and it was a true, valid temptation. The Bible says that. He says, If you're really the Son of God, make these stones 
into bread. Now, it's kind of interesting because even in, to this day, over in that part of the world, in, in, in the Far East, there are stones over there that still exist that were there even back in Jesus' times, same rocks, that look like a loaf of bread. I've seen pictures of them, like that stone ground bread, you know, no pun intended here. But, you know, that, that, the way they made bread back, the loaves of bread, it looked like a loaf of bread. Are you with me? And you can imagine Jesus after, I mean, we get hungry after one meal missing. But 40 days, give me a break. He's probably seen mirages, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, um, but he was under t- temptation of the enemy. And he says, if you're really the son of God, make these stones turn into bread. Now, could have Jesus done that? Yeah, he could have done that. But see, he's not going to let the devil push his button and make him do something. He's not letting the devil control him. So what does Jesus do? He rips out a scripture, pulls out a scripture in his heart. It was already in his heart. He had the word in his heart. And he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, physical bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Glory to God. Say, it is written. This is how we combat evil when it comes at us. This is how we combat evil thoughts is we say what God says. It is written. It is written. And there are three different temptations here that we see different temptations that the enemy brought to Jesus. Three separate temptations. But on every one of those temptations, what did Jesus do? He used the same weapons that you and I have available to us. What is that? The Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God in our mouth. In Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about take the sword of the Spirit. Well, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God on our lips coming out of our mouth. That's the greatest weapon that you have and I have against awful combat when the enemy comes at us. When he comes at us with temptation, we can say the same thing. We can say, It is written. The devil comes at you and says, you know, you're not going to have any money left. You say, it is written, Satan, my God, Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's one scripture. Now notice Jesus didn't even use five scriptures on one temptation. One verse is enough. Amen? Listen. If a grizzly bear is attacking you and you've got a high-powered rifle, all it's going to take is one bullet. <laughs> as long as it hits him. Amen? If it doesn't, you're going to be that bear's lunch for that day. How many of you know that? And he's going to say, the bear's going to say, Lord, thank you for this food which you've prepared for me today. <laughs> Just a joke. <laughs> right? All it takes is one, one bullet. That's all it takes. All it takes, folks, is one scripture that you believe in when you say it is written. It is written. And you say what that scripture says. The devil, when it says submit to God in in, in James chapter uh, 4, it says submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Right? Right? Well, how do you resist the devil? The same way Jesus did. With the scripture. Well, if the enemy comes at you and you just go, you know, you look real determined. That doesn't do anything. Right? But when you open your mouth and you say what God says, that is the sword of the spirit. And I'll tell you, that's how you fight spiritual battles with spiritual weapons. The weapons of our warfare, they're not natural. I wish so bad I could pull out a gun or something, a knife, a big long machete and just cut the devil's head off. But I can't do that because he's a spiritual being. But I'll tell you what you can do is you can take the weapon of the Word of God that Jesus used, the same weapon, we are supposed to use the same weapon, and say what God's Word says. The devil says, I'm going to kill you. This thought comes to me. You're not going to live on this earth long. Your days are numbered. You're going you're to be cut off on this earth. You can open your scripture and, and say Psalm 91, the very last verse says, with, it is written, with long life he will satisfy me and show me his salvation. Amen. When I was in the hospital with life-threatening things that came against me, 
I say, say things like, I will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. That's a scripture. Amen? And you know what? It worked. And I'm standing here completely healthy to the glory of God. Amen? But the word of God will work for anybody here. Amen? Now, anybody here have a set of car keys on them right there? I just want to use it for an example. Just Thank you, sir. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. This key, these keys right here to Brian's vehicle, that's his vehicle, this key is necessary for his vehicle to work. Okay? Not only will this key work for Brian, right? But if I gave these keys to Mr. Levi right here, Mr. No, he's not 16 yet, but he's getting close. He's getting close. How old are you? 14. 14. Just a couple more years. These, these keys will work for Mr. Levi as much as they will work for his mom. For Brooke, right? And they'll work for Sister Patty, right? They'll work for Sister Pat, okay? Amen. Thanks, sir. Whoop, there we go. Now, you could say it like this. The keys are no respecter of persons. There was no special goosebump or feeling that Levi had or Brooke had or Pat, Pat had when I gave that, was there? But those keys are significant because you cannot start that big vehicle without those keys. You see my point? Now, you, the Word of God is no respecter of persons. It'll work for anybody that will use the Word of God. Anybody. You don't have to feel extra spiritual. You don't have to feel like, I feel goosebumps. But the Word of God will work for you. It will work. When you say it is written, it will work for you. Now here's where you have to stop. Here's where most of us have issues with this is because Satan will lie to our minds and say, it won't work for you. You don't have enough power. You haven't prayed long enough. You haven't read scriptures enough. Okay? And he, and he tries to create an image inside of your mind. You're not worthy. You're not worthy. You don't have enough faith. You don't have what it takes. Are you all with me now? You ever have that happen to you before? Now, a lot of times, and I'm happy that people have confidence in my ability to pray for them. I'm thankful for that. I think that's good. But what disturbs me is, is that when people don't have enough confidence in their own prayers, that they can't take authority themselves and they have to go to someone else. That's not good. That's not healthy. Now, when we're younger in the Lord, that's okay. God helps us right where we're at. But I'll tell you, as we grow in the Lord, we should have just as much confidence in our ability to stand and put our hands up and say, no, you don't, devil. You are not trespassing on my property right now in Jesus' name. Glory be to God. Amen. Now, I'll close with this example. I'm going to borrow this example that my wife had shared this many, many years ago. And I'll do my best to illustrate it the way she did. That when you, when the Bible says submit yourself to God, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. How many of you know that's true? And people say, well, I resisted the devil. He didn't flee from me. How do you know? How do you know? And my wife, to the best of my knowledge, she used this illustration. Let's just say this guy comes into our auditorium right now. Okay? Let's just say his name's, what's the name you want to use? Joe? Okay. Let's say a guy named Joe. <laughs> Comes into our auditorium. He just walks in right now. And he's got one of these cigars that are about this long from Cuba. And we're having church, okay? He comes in here. He comes in late. You know, he finds a seat. And all of a sudden, he, you hear him click. He lights up this cigar. And all of a sudden, the entire room fills up with this ungodly cloud. <laughs> I don't think God created us to inhale that stuff. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And so uh, two or three minutes go by, everybody's gagging and coughing, you know, everybody's disturbed, looking around, you know, sidetracked, you know. I can't even preach my message because 
He just lit up a big old fat cigar, Cuban cigar in here. Are you with me now? And so uh, I tell, because I love you, I say, no, Joe, I command you and that cigar to leave this place right now in Jesus' name. <laughs> so Joe looks back at me and says, I sure don't want to, but if you tell me, I got to go. I mean, that's the way the devil is. I sure don't want to go, but if you tell me, I got to go. And so Joe leaves that door, goes out in the hallway with his lit up cigar. Now at that point, he's out of the room. Now if you were to ask your five physical senses, is Joe still in the room? Your five physical senses would say, yeah. Because I can still smell it. But in reality, the culprit is gone. Do you see what I'm saying? Joe and the big fat cigar are gone. We resisted him and he fled. Okay? Now just stay with me here. But if you were to ask your, if you were, you know, blindfolded yourself and you were to ask yourself the question, is he still in the room? Your senses would say, yeah, he's still in the room. But in reality, he's gone. There's just lingering symptoms that are still in the room that he's still here. You get my point? Now, when you resist Satan and you resist him and you say, Satan, it is written by his stripes. I was healed 2,000 years ago. It may seem like the symptoms are still lingering. The pain, the symptoms will still be there. Don't be moved by the symptoms. We walk by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. See, the only, de- the only way the devil can convince you otherwise is to get you walking by your five senses. What you can see, what you can hear, what you can taste, what you can touch, what you can feel. Five senses. If he can get you in the sense realm, he's already got you defeated. But we don't walk by the five senses. We walk by faith and not by sight. As far as I'm concerned, if I resist the devil, he flees from me. I don't care what the symptoms still kind of hanging on, that kind of a thing. Let me tell you something. Learn to laugh at symptoms. Sue was talking about that with that situation with the wasp nest. She just looked at Now, somebody that's not spiritually minded wouldn't understand it. She, she laughed at the nest. That's faith. That's faith. I had to look at symptoms I've had in my body at times and say, ha, ha, ha. And I didn't feel like laughing. There was nothing funny. Wasn't watching the Three Stooges or anything like that. There was no laughter in the natural. But sometimes the laugh of faith, praise God. Now, this might be the most important message you're hearing in Pittsburgh right now. Okay? I can tell you that right now. Because when you resist the devil, he will flee from you. If you resist him with the word of God. Jesus did not turn. He didn't look at the devil and say, do you know who I am? Do you know who you're dealing with? I'm the son of God. He didn't do that. He went back to the word. It is written. It is written. It is written. And the same weapon that Jesus used against Satan and his cohorts is the same weapon that you and I should and could and should use every single day of our lives. It is written by the Word of God. Hallelujah. Well, I'll tell you, some of the, some of the greatest miracles I personally have seen in my life and I say this with all humility. I, God's no respecter of persons. God doesn't, because of a, I'm a minister, it doesn't mean God loves me more than He loves you or I have more authority than you have. I don't. I have, we have, if we're in Christ Jesus, we have the same, God loves us with the same love. He has the same authority that's given to us. But if, if we resist Satan, he will flee from us. And there are times that when you say, it is written, it'll look like nothing's changed. It'll look like nothing's happened. Most often, that's what you're going to find. In fact, it'll look sometimes worse. Remember when they brought that little child to Jesus? You know, that guy brought his, his own son, and he, kept, he, had a, he had a devil, and he said every, he kept falling into the fire, and they would walk into the water and all that. I mean, you know, like a suicidal spirit that was on him. And Jesus said, bring him to me. Remember that? 
And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, he starts wallowing and foaming at the mouth. He starts having a conniption, okay? And Satan is just manifesting, you know. And, and so Jesus didn't react to that. He just, he looked to his dad and his mother. He said, how long has he been in this condition? He's on the, he's on the floor, just, just going crazy, you know what I mean? He's not being moved by that. And Jesus said, how long has he been in this condition? And so, since he was a child, Jesus commanded the spirit to come out of him, that tormenting spirit that was messing with him. And the Bible says he fell flat to the ground. They thought he was dead. They thought he was dead. Just lifeless. Boom. Fell to the ground, you know. But the disciples, Jesus wasn't moved by that because he dealt a death blow to the enemy in that situation. And the enemy just had a last fit and he tore, the devil tore him, and he came out of him. But then when he woke up, when he woke up, hallelujah, he was in his right mind. He was okay. He was healed. He was delivered. Praise God. Many times, many, many times, more often than not, when you pray for something and you believe God for something, do not be alarmed if you get bad news initially. Do not be alarmed if you have symptoms that seem to get worse instead of better. Do not be surprised if that son or that daughter acts up and looks worse than what they did before you prayed. Because, listen to me very carefully, I know what I'm talking about. The enemy is going to try to lie to you and say, he didn't hear your prayer. Look at you. They're worse off. What good is your prayer? What good is it if you pray? What good is it that you stand in faith? Well, I'll tell you what, when you walk by faith and not by sight, you always win. Hallelujah. Sometimes you just got to turn a deaf, eye, you know, deaf ear to what's going on around you and say, I'm not moved by that stuff that's going on. I'm not moved by that person. I'm not moved by what's going on right there. I'm not moved by my body. I'm moved by the Word of God. Praise God. When you take that kind of stance, the devil says, I'm sorry, but I got to go. No, he don't say I'm sorry. He just goes. <laughs> Get out, Satan. Get out of here, man. Because he can't control your eyes. He can't control your ears. You're not moved by what you feel. What you feel. Okay? What if, what if we were controlled by, oh, I feel Levi. He's here this morning. Now, that'd get on your nerves after a while, right? Touchy feeling, you know, we feel God. Now, listen, we walk by faith and not by sight. God's here because he said he's here. I'm telling you, he is in this room right now. Make no mistake about it. He is here. His presence is in this room right now. There are angels in this room right now, more than you can even imagine, that are in this room right now. And I wouldn't be surprised if at some point during one of our church services that all of a sudden your eyes are open for a minute and you see some 10-foot guy standing right here and right here. Now, I don't have to see them to believe. I know they're there. In fact, they're grinning from ear to ear right now. I don't see them. I just know it in my spirit. Hmm. Amen? Oh, man. Greater ones working. He's in us. Oh, if you knew they that be with you are more than they that be with them, if you realize how powerful that the arsenal of heaven that you have right now is more than enough for the enemy that would try to come against you. Thank you, Father. Man, I feel the anointing right now. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Oh, baby, I, <laughs> glory to God. Let's just thank him. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Yeah, I see that, Lord. Thank you for that, Lord. Someone here has been saying these words, and I don't know who it is because the Lord didn't show me. You've kept, you've been not even realizing it, but you've been saying, I'm under so much pressure. I'm under so much pressure. 
The enemy's been attacking. I'm under so much pressure. And the Lord would have you to know today, don't say that anymore. Don't say that. By saying that, you're giving the enemy a license to step in and to attack you even more. Okay? The Lord's saying this not, He did not show me who this is. I don't, it's none of my business. If it was for me too, I would take it. But, but the Lord said, stop saying I'm under so much pressure. It just seems worse. It just seems so the devil's been attacking. The devil's been attacking. We're going to right now make a decision, make a choice to repent from that mind. And I would say repent, that means just change your mind. That's all that means. Change the way you think. To not go down that path anymore. Now you'll notice that after having said that and thinking on that, it seems like it has gotten worse. But today the tables are turning. It's turning around. The tables are turning around. Hallelujah. And the greater one. God's going to give you a phrase. God's going to give you something to say. I don't know what that is, but it'll be scriptural. He's going to give you something to say and replace what you have been saying with the pressure. Oh, I've been under such pressure. I've been under such pressure. Now, all of us want sympathy. When I go through things, how many of you in our natural flesh, we want sympathy with people? We want people to know how much we're hurting and suffering. Don't we? Am I the only one? <laughs> Let's just be honest. That's part of our flesh, right? We just want to, oh, I'm, I'm suffering. Do you know that? Okay, all right. But see, it's not so important what other people, it's not so much that they have to know what I'm going through. That's not what's important. What is, the fact, the important thing is, is God knows what you're going through, and he's really the only one that can really help you anyway. <laughs> The only way I can even help people even today is to realize God's working through me. It's in, in myself, I, I'm very insufficient in myself, in my flesh. I have nothing in myself to give anybody today. I really don't. But my sufficiency, I know, is not of myself, but it's of the Lord who has made me an able minister of the gospel. And we're all that way. So the more deficient we realize we are in ourselves that's the safest place we can be in because we empty ourselves we decrease he increases then we realize my god i'm not in this by myself i'm god's in me the lord's in me the power of god's in me thank you father thank you father hallelujah hallelujah brother gary god's going to begin to give you greater revelation from this moment forward, greater understanding, greater revelation of the God that lives inside of you. And though you have had revelation back from here backwards, and that is good, there's going to come a fresh revelation inside your heart and inside your mind and you'll just be going along think, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, amen. And it's going to change your countenance, it's going to change what's in your heart, it's going to change what's in your mind, and it's going to almost be like a rebirth. Amen. Now, I didn't plan on saying that, but the Lord directed me, I looked at you and the Lord directed me right over to you to say that to you. Praise God. I didn't know that was going to happen a minute ago. I didn't know that. But the Lord wants to encourage you this morning, Okay. He's made you worthy through and by His blood. You have absolute right standing before God now as much as when you would go to heaven. You are right with God. You have right heart with God. You have right standing with God. And that, that roadblock, so to speak, that thing that seemed like it just blocked you, is gonna, it's removed. It's, it's, it's removed. It's removed. It's removed. Hallelujah. Amen. God needs His people to learn how to flow with the Holy Ghost. How many of you know that? Not just get our little program all the time, you know, and just everything's organized. We know exactly what's going to happen, when it's going to happen. Hey, let's just, just because God moves doesn't mean that there's chaos. God does everything decently and in order. But He's here to help people. He's here to help people. 
He's in the people business. That's why. Your giftings that you have, even, they're not for your own benefit. They're for other people. People need what you have. Every one of you in this room, everyone here needs what each other has because we're a blessing to each other. We're a gift. I'm not gifted for myself or my own benefit. I'm gifted to help other people. And I'll never forget that. It's not for my own benefit. Glory to God. Glory to God. You feel the spirit, I don't want to say feel, but you sense the spirit moving in your heart right now. This is praying the Spirit. Glory to God. There's a, I believe, an anointing right now for all of us here in this room to go deeper in the things of God. Deeper. Deep calleth to deep. Now, I'm not talking about weird and flaky. I'm talking about deeper in Christ, deeper in God, the reality of God, the reality of the kingdom of God, the reality of Jesus and His presence. God's calling us to come deeper, stronger, get our roots deeper in Him. Praise God. 